a little bit. I said, did it take them a while to catch up? It's okay. Go in the evening, everybody. I am here, and it's good to see you all, and we're glad you're here. For those of you that were with me last Sunday when I preached, I had to go a lot faster than I have to tonight. I liked how somebody asked me if I was able to breathe. They were afraid I was going to pass out up here. It was really interesting to watch. It was funny. No, I was fine. It's great. We did get through all of things. If you have not received the outlines um, 6 through 18, you can go. I think Mark has them attached to the file that you're streaming on. But also you can go um, to Lighthouse, pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and request them if you don't have them. But I'm pretty sure that you can get them pretty easy tonight. Say that again. Jeannie sent out the emails. That is correct. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All, everybody's telling me, make sure I understand who did all the work. Okay, we know it's always Jeannie that does all. We know that. Here we go. We are in chapter 6. And we have gone through the beginning of the book, the chapter 1, where it talked about identifying Jesus as the Alpha and Omega. We started in chapter 2 with the seven letters, and we went to it. Chapter 2 and 3 did all of the letters. Chapter 4 was the opening of heaven, being able to see him who sits on the throne. Chapter 5 then identified the lamb that was slain, who was standing in the midst of it. So in all of that stuff going on, it was almost a, a ramp up for this chapter, starting at this chapter. Um, over the next uh, several weeks, I believe it's going to take us, or several months maybe, who knows. I'm not going to try to push it and do a whole chapter in one evening. So if there's something comes up and you in here have a question, this microphone, it will be live if you come up and ask a question, and that is so that everybody else can hear it, or you should shout it out real loud so I can repeat it. Either one, raise your hands and I will stop where we are and do that. This is a very interactive Bible study time. Tonight we get to go the full hour in a Bible study. For those of you that do have life group tonight, if you want to leave at any time and go to that, I understand. It's not a problem. But every Wednesday night now we will do, be doing complete Bible studies on Wednesday nights of the scriptures as much as we can cover in one evening. So... Tonight we start, like I said, with chapter 6. Chapter 6 is going to start with a verse in chapter 5. Because if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it actually prepares us for what's happening tonight. Because it says, In the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. Well, tonight in chapter 6, we actually start to open those seven seals. And we're going to identify each one, talk about each one and what they mean and, and how they work. We're also, um, if you look on your outlines, for those of you that have the outlines, if you look down there in the next thing, you're going to see something from chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, where it says, the four living creatures around the throne. And these are called the cherubim of heaven. There's a reason that I bring them up, because in the first four um, uh, seals, as he opens them up, 
the writers, the first four writers, uh, the horse, the, we call them the horsemen of the apocalypse, they come up and they begin to do their work that they have been specifically asked to do by God himself. Um, if you also are looking for other visions of these same exact horses, this is a very interesting note. You'll see there that I have compare the visions of the horses in Zechariah 1, 7, and 8, and 6, 1 through 8. These, you can do that later on. We, we're not gonna, I'm not going to turn back there and do that tonight. But this is the exact same four horses that, and the horsemen that Zechariah saw back uh, quite a few hundred years before um, John wrote the, the uh, apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So before we get started now anymore, I would really like to start with prayer because tonight could be, <laughs> please don't be afraid to ask a question. I'm, I'm here to, to answer that. If I don't know tonight, I will find it and make sure that you have the answers by next week. So please feel free. Let's pray together. Father God, we know that you are almighty and all-powerful. We know that it, you are the one who sits on the throne in that throne room. Father, tonight as we look into this book that can be scary to us on this earth, may we do so with an open heart and mind and realization of how this book is such a book of promise and encouragement. We thank you, O oh God, for those who have your name written on our hearts because it is you that we trust, that we know, that we love, that we give honor and glory to God this night. May you guide us and direct us as we study this book and we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to go to chapter 6, verse 1. I'm probably not going to read the whole thing and then come back to it. I'm going to read one verse at a time and break them down, okay? Just so you know. We're going to start with verse 1 and probably go through verse 2, I think. We'll see how far we get. Uh, well, actually, we're going to do verse 1 first. Now I watched the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. I want to talk about those four creatures just for a minute. Those four creatures, I know that, that many people refer to them as angels. In the original language, the, the word for them is called zone, Z-O-N. And the zone of heaven are actually living beings. And some of your translations may see, and there were four living beings who were at the four corners of, they are, they are actually in charge of doing different things that we're going to see in just a minute. But these living beings are on each side of the throne as it is described for us in chapter 4. Now, there's one in front, one in back, and one on each side of God on the throne. And these four living beings are the ones who actually carry out many of the commands of God. And you're going to see them through the, throughout this book. All the way till we get to chapter 19. You will be seeing the living beings. And he'll talk about the living creatures, the living beings. He'll refer to them the same way. He does not call them angels because they are more than angels. That What we would call them today would be cherubim. You may have heard of the cherubim and the seraphim in many songs. Those cherubim that he's talking about, these are the living creatures that he is speaking of in this book. And these, these four living creatures have a very special place in heaven with God. And it's almost as if this is the first spot where we see that there is a hierarchy in heaven. Because we know that Michael, 
the archangel, he's like the, the top guy. And at one point in time, if you, as you look at the great battle that's in Ezekiel, as well as when we get to chapter 12, you'll see that, that it is Michael and his angels who go into battle against the devil and his angels. See, at one point in time, Lucifer, who became Satan, was like the, the counterpart to Michael. He was the guy that him and Michael were the two head angels in heaven that God could say, hey, I need someone to do this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And they would go and take care of him. And you'll read about Michael talking to many of the prophets in the Old Testament himself. This is where Lucifer had his standing at one time. He at one time was considered one of the most beautiful of angels, had power, all this, and then his greed came in and he wanted to be like God. At that point in time, there was a great battle. We're going to talk about that when we get to chapter 12. So if we want to understand and know the premise from the apocalyptic literature starting in chapter 6, we have to understand why this is all needing to take place see because without that without the birth of jesus without the fact that there is an evil being that wants to take his place there would be no need for what you're about to read i hope and pray that as we read this stuff and you realize some of the things that these beings are told to do and given commands by God, Michael, and the, and the Lamb, that you understand there is a purpose in that because basically we have all gone astray. The human beings, when they separated themselves from God at the garden, they set this plan into motion. And the end days did not start. The end times actually began with the birth of that baby. When Jesus was born, that started the end times. That's where they began. We have to understand, there is not going to be an end times that's going to be a big flash of lightning or anything like that. That's not what I see in here, what I feel. That is not what I see in here. What I see in here is that the birth of Jesus, when the great battle took place and Satan was thrown down out of heaven, thrown actually into heaven is what it, I mean into earth, when he was thrown down into earth, I have to believe that at that point in time, the end time started. Because when you start to read 1 Peter, when you start to read John's other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you see that Jesus is coming at any time. He refers to the fact that the Lord is coming at any time. Paul says many times, be ready. He's coming like a thief in the night. There's going to be, Jesus is coming at any time. No man knows the hour or the day. Jesus himself said that. So as we start to get into chapter 6 and start the apocalypse of the apocalypse, we need to hope, and, and I hope we keep it in our heads, that this is God's plan for redeeming man. That's what he wants to accomplish here. This is not meant to be a book that frightens us, scares us, makes us run and never want to talk about it. This is a book that, that makes us want to realize that we serve the winner. See, because if you go back and cheat and look at the end of books, like my daughters, when they would read books and they go to the end and read the endings first. Now, none of you do that, right? 
should be ashamed of yourselves. You all just lied right to the pastor's face. But anyways, we know good and well that there are people who read the end of the book first. Well, if you can do that in this book, because guess what? When you see that in the end, God wins. Then this is over. That's it. God is on the throne. The king is there when the lamb has come in all of his glory. And it's, that's it. What we want to understand is how it got to that point in that great battle, how the battle started, finished, and then what God did with all of those who refused his name. As we talk about those who dwell on the earth, and if you have the very first handout that I gave you when we first started this, you will see that um, much of the things, I gave some definitions of, of several of these things. To him who sits on the throne, God himself. Those who dwell on the earth, those who don't believe. You'll see that. Horns, power, uh, keys, uh, knowledge, eyes, knowledge. You know, you'll see all of those things. And as we get through this book, you're going to see how God himself explains it to us. So I'm hoping and praying that this book becomes one not just of being less scary, but be one of, wow, this is amazing what God has done in our lives and in our place. This is the book of encouragement. This is the book that's going to lift you up and say, I serve the king. I'm good. I don't have to fear anything. Not medical, not mental, not emotional. No, I serve the king. So let's look here now. And I know that's a long ways to get into verse chapter 6, but I wanted to get all of that out first. Here we go. Then I watched one of the seven seals and I heard the four creatures. The four creatures are an interesting lot. The, four, the first one looks like a lion. The second one, he looks like an ox. The third one has the face of a man. And the fourth living creature is, looks like an eagle in flight. And if you wonder where I get all of that from, I get that from chapter 4. That's the ones where it talks about, uh, I have that on there, chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It gives all the description of all those four living creatures of the cherubim who are, who are um, around the throne. That's them. Okay, let's keep going. So when I heard the voice like thunder say, come, verse 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Okay, we're going to stop there. Let's talk about that white horse. There are those well-meaning people who truly believe that the white horse is the same white horse that Jesus rides in chapter 19. It is not. Because, and there's a couple of reasons why we know that Jesus is not, this is not representative of Jesus because of the fact the lamb is on the throne opening the seals. Who's the lamb? Wait, wait, wait. When I ask a question, I need to know you really know. Who's the lamb? Thank you for sharing. I love you dearly for that. Thanks. So, and we know that the lamb is on the throne. So he can't be the same guy on the white horse. Not only that, if you read there in that verse, it says, and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. You know, my favorite part of that, every time it says that about this stuff, nothing happens without God's permission. You see, God gave him that crown. If God didn't give him that crown, he would have been worthless. He would have just been a guy playing with a sword over in the corner by himself like a little kid. But God gave him the crown. Which makes us then wonder, okay, God, if we know 
he's a writer, and, and some, some Bibles will say cavalier, because cavaliers who ride horses give, um, they have a specific purpose, and that is to make war. This cavalier on the white horse, it says, and he came out conquering and to conquer. His whole purpose in life is to go out and make sure that he wages war. So when it says, um, in a, uh, under number seven there, it says, the white horse with pure motives, or is it? Please know he is not here for his pure, clean, friendly motives. He is there to conquer, to wage war. All right? He's called with a bow. He's given a crown. And he came out to conquer. And then we start to ask who. We'll get to that in just a minute. So then we're going to look at chapter, uh, verse number three. When he opened the second seal, talking about the lamb, the second living creature says, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword as well. Number eight on your outline, it's a red horse. One with power and strength. This is a very strong horse. The rider, the cavalier, is given power and a large sword. And he's permitted to take peace from the earth. You know what makes me think of that what, what's the alternative to that line? Would there be any peace on this earth without God? You see, each one of these phrases that John is given to write down tells us something very, very big and very important about who God is. And in this point, when he says, and he is take, came out to conquer, and he was given the, the chance to, he is, they're permitted to take peace from the earth. The only way there is peace, any peace, on this earth is because of God and his spirit indwelling still on this earth. Yes, he's allowed the enemy to walk and roam to and fro as it says to us in the first chapter of, Bo the second chapter of Job. And in that second chapter of Job, we know that the demons and, and the angels, I'm sorry, the angels are going before God to make a report. And Satan, it says, Satan was allowed to go with them. In other words, he can't do anything without God's permission. So when you're asking who has the real power, it's obviously the God that we serve. Amen? Amen. I like it. We're getting it. Okay. I'm going to get excited and start preaching here in a minute. Okay. So we have to understand when the second living creature comes out and he is permitted to take peace from the earth, God steps back. Is that the scary? Think about how scary that is. That the peace of God is permitted to be removed from the earth at this point. Okay? It says that in chapter 3. I mean, in chapter 6, verse 3. It says... That the come and out came the horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Right? So that people should slay one another. Are you starting to get a picture of who is the ones who are receiving all of the things and, and the duties that these riders are permitting? It's everybody on the earth. Okay? 
I know that every one of you want to stand up to this microphone and say to me, does that mean everybody, even the Christians? Uh, we'll get there in a minute. Okay. Now, let's go to, to uh, verse 4. And slay one another. It says, take peace from the earth and slay one another. He was given a great sword. Do you realize that that's now, we have a bow from the first writer and a sword for this writer. Of this day, those were two of the most powerful weapons they could yield. I don't even want to know what God would give them today if he were going to give them the, the weapons of our day. I mean, that's the way my brain thinks, folks. I sometimes think of that weird stuff. I'm just wondering. I know that those two weapons were the weapons of the day. Is he going to give us those, the weapons of the day when this happens? I don't think so. I think he's going to stay true to his word because guess what? The arrows that, well, he never lies. Very good, darling. You're absolutely correct. But the arrows that he can use, two things he never runs out of and they never miss. Second thing is the sword is a sword that's stronger to do anything than any sword on this earth. So when everybody says, oh, we can beat the guy with the sword, we're just going to shoot him. Yeah, I don't think that's. Somebody said that to me a couple days ago. He says he's got a sword. Psh, I'll just take out my Uzi and cut him in half. I said, yeah, okay, let me know how that goes for you. <sighs> Number five. Then when they opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, it was a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So as we look at the third seal and the black horse, the black horse is the color of the darkness of evil. That we can figure out pretty easy. As in contrast to the light. The rider is given a pair of scales. His balance, his balance that he's holding, not his balance, but the balance that he's holding has two choices, right? You know, in the, in the marketplace, right? They'll put a pound weight on this side and then they put product on one side to make sure they come even and everything balances like this. That is the purpose of this rider. He's come to balance those things between good and evil. And the amazing part about this is he goes, use the scarcity of wheat and barley to create a famine. Here's how God works when it comes to proving the validity to his scripture to those who don't believe. In three different writers of history in this day, it reports that during these hours in this day when, when this was being written, there was a big thing about food. And Domitian and Nero and everybody were holding back wheat and barley from the poor people to make them feel less powerful. To make them feel, especially if you called on the name of the Lord. If you called on the name of God, you were too stupid to live and they just thought, okay, let's just make sure they cannot buy bread or wheat or barley to work with. But we don't want to harm the oil and the wine. And why is that? Because the hierarchy still has to have their martini parties. And that's as plain as I can put it. 
because that is the truth. It was the oil and the wine were for those in the hierarchy. Those were the things they used to prepare their food, to make their food to work with. And all of these historical writers are talking about uh, Josephus, Eusebius, and, Sarah, and there was a couple others. These are not believers who write some of this stuff out for the, the hierarchy in the throne rooms of all these governments. And as they're writing this stuff down, what they're doing is proving the truth of this book. Because everybody says, you don't know that these stories are true. So, well, yeah, there's books about it. Well, you can't use the Bible to prove itself true. Uh, you know what? You're absolutely correct. And I would love sometimes when guys would say to me, I'll bet you a burrito breakfast that that's not, you can't find that anywhere else. Hey. I love when they did that. That was like, you know, oh, cool. I'm going to eat free for like two months. We can find validity in the word of God, not just in the word of God. God would have the scribes and the, and the uh, sorcerers and all of the historians of every court take down every note these kings and queens said of the day. The Babylonians have volumes of things that happened during all of the days of the Babylonian captivities. And the amazing part of that, it matches what was in here. Written in a faraway place from there and by people before it even happened. And yet it's in this book. And that's, that's the wonderment of research. You, see, you can get caught up in research so much that sometimes you forget to like sleep and eat and you know stuff like that because you get excited but the amazing part of this is that this book has been validated by people outside of this book so when people ask you oh is the bible really true oh in more ways than i can tell you it has been validated by more people historians and throughout the years and we can go through all of that at another time but it's been amazing to watch. So now at this time, they're going through a famine of food in there. And then all of a sudden, God gives him a vision of guess what? One of the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to use that famine, that time of starvation to make proof the point of hurting people. Only now it's hurting the, the everybody. It's not just pointed at those who are believers. And we'll get into how God provides for them later. But it's just amazing to me how that it proves that this, all of this stuff on these, the denarius, the, the quartz of the wheat, the, the barley and everything is, this is all about what was going on in that day. And God was letting people know your need for food, hunger and starvation is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked and behold, <laughs> a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Who wants to live in the other three-fourths? 
You see, when God gets ready to do something, he's making a point to make sure you understand who is really in control, who has the power, who's going to make all of this happen. Because without him in the first horse giving the, the, the uh, deception of being pure and holy and a white horse, but giving him a bow to, to, to fight, the second one to have the sword that's being able to conquer and remove peace for the earth. The third one that's going to be working with a famine to make people starve to death. And now the fourth one is death. Each one escalates to a different point. And it's all going to come down to a certain uh, place in this chapter where you're going to see the reason for this we would ask, is this really the God of love that we hear about in all the nice songs? Is this really the God? Why is this really happening? Why, are, why is God talking about such destruction, pestilence, death, and everything else? Because Jesus was born. Once Jesus was born, the enemy knew his time was short. And because Jesus was born, the enemy figured out real quick that he needed to do something about not just that baby, but all of the offspring of Mary who called on the name of God. And it says that when we get to chapter 12. If Jesus had not come, if Lucifer had not started the fight, if all of the evil that mankind has allowed to take place, took place, there would be no reason for the book of Revelation. When I say that this is a book of encouragement and promise, for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, this should really give you strength and courage beyond belief to understand one thing. Your God covers you. Your God watches out for you. He holds your hand. He makes sure that you are protected in all things. And no, I did not just give away the whole plot, Charlie. So don't think that I cheated. And, you know, I see that face over there. I know what you're thinking. I didn't do that. I'm just letting you know how powerful our God really is. Because that's the exciting thing of this book to me. And as Eric told everybody Sunday, this man loves this book and he gets excited. And I do. And I'm going to try to stay on task. And my wife will tell you that is not an easy thing to do. Let's look at the fifth seal. So now we know that we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They've, they've showed themselves. They've showed what they're going to do. But this next seal is very interesting. Because this is the one that you want to look at it and say, huh? Here we go. Fifth seal. Uh, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the, for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Remember we talked about those who dwell on the earth who caused the problem. Well, when we talk about the fourth and the fifth seal, the fifth seal talks about those who are under the altar, the souls of the martyrs who have gone before us. All of the apostles that were killed unbelievably, they were martyred in ways that 
that are not normal. And when the souls start to cry out, they cried out, and if you look at your outline on the back page there, it says, they cried out, how long, O Lord, before you judge and avenge our blood against those who dwell on the earth? There comes a day when the souls of that, that were just part of God's plan, who whatever happened to them on this earth, they wound up in the, in the fold of God in his altar. And at that point, God is allowing them to speak out. And God's response, each martyr is given a white robe, and we'll get to that. They rest and wait until the number of martyrs is complete. They're brothers who would be killed as they had been. Let's continue reading. <clears throat> When he opened the fourth seal, or fifth seal. And verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell in the earth? Verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. God is saying this is going to get a little worse before it gets better. But when he says that word rest there, when he says rest a little longer, the wording as I looked up and I began to translate this a little bit and break it down, God is saying to them, be at peace, my dear ones. In other words, God is still holding them in his head. They didn't, you know, you think about Stephen who was stoned in the, in the eighth chapter of Acts, right? And you think about that at the seventh and eighth chapter of Acts. When Stephen is killed and it says he just looked up to heaven and said, into my, into the, you know, into your hands I commit my spirit, O God. Repeating what Jesus said on the cross. Stephen is in here and these souls of the martyrs and he, he's the one of the first ones there you know, and as they be, the others began to join him, when they cry out to God, God says, I know my children, it's okay. Puts a white robe around them and says, just rest a little longer. I was reading this once to a friend of mine in college, and we were reading through this, and he says, I want mine to be like one of those really soft wool robes, you know, the blankets, and you wrap up and you just get comfy and go to sleep for a little while longer. That's the picture. God is saying, it's okay, guys, just rest a little while longer because there's going to be some more that are coming. It's not finished yet because evil is at hand, but we will make them pay. We will make them pay. And I'm, I'm quoting the Bible there. I'm not telling you what Bill thinks. That You'll see that phrase later on in the book. I gave away another. See, Charlie, you keep making me make these said people. I'm giving secrets away, brother. It's Charlie's fault. We'll blame Charlie. Is that okay, Jeannie? Thanks. So let's go to verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. As the tree, fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale or a strong wind. We wonder why these seals represent some of these things. 
the great earthquake comes, the sun becomes black, the full moon becomes like blood, and the stars in the sky fall to the earth. We want to think and believe that the stars in the sky are those angels that are watching over us, taking care of us. I love where we see that there's, you can go if I, you know, if I wanted to for all my kids and my family, my wife, everybody, I can go buy a star. Say, that star's yours, you know. That guy was genius, by the way, whoever thought of doing that. And so when he says all the stars fell from the sky, it's becoming darker. It's becoming black. It's becoming, when he covers the moon like sackcloth. Sackcloth, have, have any of you ever felt a sackcloth and see how thick and heavy those things are? It's, it's crazy how thick and heavy that is. And people, some Jewish friends of mine have some, and every time that they would get to um, the Passover before it, when they would want to go do their prayers at their temples, sometimes some of them would wear them. And these things, it's like, it's heavy. And not only that, you're not allowed to wash it. Just saying. Doesn't smell real good in there when there's three or four of them together. But we get to a point where we start to understand if that's going to cover the sun, it's going to block the sun. If the moon is going to become like blood, it means that there's blood going to be shed and there's going to be a, a battle that's, that's unprecedented. We can get discouraged in this. We can become fearful. We can look at this and go, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I want to live through this. Or we can say, let's see what God does with this. Let's see the little target, the pointer. Let's see where that's aimed. Because you can't really judge anything until we get to the point where we understand who God is talking to and about. It's coming. Let me just tell you, it's coming. And I'm on verse 14, 13. Verse 13. Um, and the stars fell to the earth, and the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Again, reference to food disappearing. More famine, more pestilence. It's even, you're not even going to be able to get your, your food from the fig trees. Not you, but the people here that, that are stuck at this point in time are not going to have any food. 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. If you look at the outline where it says under the sixth seal, I gave you a, a list of events in that note. First, the great earthquake will happen. Then the sun becomes dark and it's disturbed. The sun became black as sackcloth. The moon disturbed. It becomes like red like blood. The stars from heaven, they fall. Just like a strong wind shakes a tree and unripe figs fall to the ground. The full moon became like blood. Heaven disappears from sight like a scroll rolled, scroll rolled up and every mountain and island shaken from its place. God is clearing the field for something big coming. How can you not 
worship and fall down before a God who has this kind of power? Because let's go back to those first four horsemen. Remember, they were given the power. They were given the crown. They were permitted to remove peace. They were allowed to. Every single time when it refers to anything that's going on in all of this, nothing happens without God allowing, permitting, and granting them to do this. He is still in full control. I know that we are going to have those who are going to look at us and say, how can you call him a God of love when you're reading this kind of stuff to me? It is because of his love for us that we're able to understand what he's going to do with evil. His love for us is so powerful that, yes, there's times when we have to go through this just in order to get through to see what he's really going to do to clean up. That's what's the exciting part to me. That's why I went so crazy doing the research and thinking, okay, so now what's he going to do? Now what's he going to do? This is one of those places where all of a sudden you go, okay, now i got to read the end of the book. i got to go see what happened here. Because you want to know, okay, it's still going to come right. When he comes on the golden, the white throne judgment, we're still going to be, then God wins. That's still good. Okay, let's find out what else he's going to do. <laughs> then he starts talking about the people in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. I'm, I'm not going to read the next part because we'll get to what their cry outs in just a minute. Okay, so now we've got the first 17 verses that lead all up to this. Guess who he was pointing this at? You can read it right there. The kings of the earth, the great ones. In other words, those are those who consider themselves to be greater than everybody else. They're the ones that believe that everybody's a deplorable. That's all I'm saying. And the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. The only thing that they could do is find the hidden rocks and the mountains. But what did the verse before this just say? What was removed? Yeah, the, everything's being rolled up and every mountain island was removed from its place. And yet, they're still searching for places to hide. The kings and the earth and the rich, and they ran, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. In other words, there's no mountains left. It's just piles of rubble. And they're hiding themselves as best they can for the simple purpose of the next verse. Calling to the mountains and rocks, please, begging, pleading, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? <sighs> Remember, we wanted to find out what God was going to do and to who and how it was going to work. There you go. We read through all of this pestilence and bad things and everything coming out and God was given the power to evil and everything else to do something. And we've always wondered, to whom? I think that's correct English. To whom? To who? These people. 
And all of a sudden he says, and they were hiding themselves among the caves and the rocks of the mountains. So many of my pastor friends read that. The rocks in the mountains. I say, you didn't say any mountains. There's no mountains left. It says from the rocks from the fallen mountains. They were removed. There's nothing but rocks and piles there. And they're trying to hide themselves and say, please, rocks fallen. If somebody take that 400-pound boulder and roll it on top of me, let me be squished. I don't want to face this. God doesn't let them die. And I love how it says, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, right? And the wrath of the lamb. How many times throughout the gospels did we see where Jesus said to us, don't be like the Pharisees. How many times did he say it's, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than to get into heaven? He called some of those who were not only denying him but challenging him vipers and snakes. He told us not to be like those who, who were, thought they were better than everybody else. When you go to give your offerings... Don't be like the kings who walk up and down and say, God, see how rich I am, so grateful for how rich and powerful I am. Because the powerful ones and the kings and rulers, they're going to be crying out, please let the rocks kill us. And I mean, we're just starting, guys. This is the beginning of the apocalypse. And they're already begging now to be done away with. They haven't seen what's coming. We know. We can keep reading on and going, oh, you don't know. No, that's nothing compared to what's coming. Wait till we get to the bowls of the wrath and the first, second, and third woes. So we know lots more is coming for them. But when we look at this, we're thinking to ourselves, yes, I don't have to worry about the guys that are bullying me, picking on me. I don't have to worry about those people that think they're so much better off than me and that treat me like this. We have a good friend who had an employer who even in the name of religion as she was working just abused her. I mean, just made her work unbelievably. And there's going to come a day when those people are going to have to answer for their wrath, I love verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come. At the bottom of your outline, it says every king, the great ones, the generals, and all the powerful begged. They begged for the mountains to fall on them and hide them. They wanted to hide from the face of him who sits on the throne. Now, does God have to see you to see you? Does God not know where you are? So it's like, I got it. So I saw him do all this stuff over here. So I'm going to go run under these rocks because he can't see in the rock. Didn't he create the rocks? And didn't he make the rocks fall? So then couldn't he just look at the rock and go, Psst, move out of the way a little bit. Oh, yeah, and as the guy looks up, the great one, the king looks up, God's finger just saying, oh, there you are. I was looking for you. Come with me. Let's go talk. 
only it's not talk. When we start looking into all of this, I'm really glad we got through a whole chapter tonight, and I'm really glad of that because I didn't see any hands go up yet. So if you have questions, you will need to raise them up and ask me. Because here's, here's the amazing thing about everything that we just read. From the first seal all the way to the sixth. And notice there are seven seals and we only got through the sixth before we get into the next chapter. And it's not even the seventh seal is not even in the next chapter. We're going to be talking about some very interesting things there in chapter seven. But as we looked at the first through the, the six seals, every single one of them gave us a reason to understand who is really in control? Amen? Amen? That's right. Because we can see that right now, God has given the crowns. He's allowed them to do what they wanted to do. All the colors of the horses matter to people on this earth. And all of us are saying, I wonder why God did that. And yet we can find out. In every single one of these chapters, you're going to see that as John is in the spirit, he is in prayer. He is in a place where that he is communicating with God every moment of this day. And as he's communicating with God, he's talking to the Lord about his people that are on the mainland. Because remember, he's still over on that island. And yet God has opened up another dimension for him to be able to see into heaven, the throne room. To see him who sits on the throne. To see the lamb who's standing as if he was slain. He gets to see all of those things happening. And then as he's looking, he sees that he is hearing all of these things about who is standing on these thrones. In chapter 5, I'm going to bring out one more thing in chapter 5. John begins to weep because remember the question is who is worthy to open the scrolls? And I'm going to finish just about right at 8 o'clock with this. Who is worthy to open the scrolls? And no one is found. There is not one that is found. And John begins to weep. And as John begins to weep, one of the elders looks over and says, Hey, John, weep no more. Hold on, my brother. You have to realize that the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. He was slain and he has conquered. He is worthy to open these scrolls and break these seals. What's unique about that to me is this, and again, here's where my brain goes. You realize John is in the Spirit He's opening up and seeing the, the heavens. And all of a sudden, in, in chapter 5, one of the elders says to him, in verse 5, he says, weep no more. The elder begins to talk to him. The elder recognizes that one of God's children, the one who's leading to get this message out to God's people, is, is hurting, is weeping. And that elder, having compassion for John, says, John, don't cry. Wait, we know who's going to open. We have to ask the question for your sake. He didn't ask the question for everybody in heaven, please. Like, they don't know. They know who's worthy. But they ask the question in this for, so that we get it down here on this earth to wonder, 
if nobody is worthy to open those scrolls, those scrolls don't get opened. And then we realize, oh, the lamb appearing slain and standing. So no matter what they did to this lamb, they crucified the lamb. He bled and died. Today he stands in complete power. In such power to be able to open the scrolls handed to him by God himself. There is no measure of that power. Nothing can measure up to the power of who Jesus Christ is. When these, in, now we go back to chapter 6, when these kings, powerful ones, and all of these people, the great people on the earth, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, when they're hiding themselves, it could have been, those are the ones that were mocking Jesus when he was on the cross. They could have been some of the ones who were throwing things at him when they were walking down the streets. It could have been one of the ones that was able to buy the clothes that they were, the guards were selling them. They were laughing and mocking and chasing. This guy's crazy. He thinks he's got, what is he thinking? Who is he, who is he screaming at up there on the cross? On this day? Yeah. Nobody's doubting who Jesus is. They all figure it out real quick, don't they? Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from the one who we made fun of, mocked, spit on, and everything else. Hide us from him because now, though he were dead, he is alive. And he came back stronger. He came back mightier. And I love the saying that a a good preacher came out and said once. He said, look, the first time he left here, he left bleeding and on a cross. The next time he comes, (laughs) he's coming to take power. He's coming to sit on a throne. He's coming to let everybody know, oh, by the way, I'm back. (laughs) And that's when people begin to tremble. They begin to realize the power of Almighty God and the Lamb. They begin to understand who he is and how he works. It's no longer a, a, a matter of, well, I don't know that Jesus is really real. I mean, he was a good man and a prophet. Let's see, some of the cults. Oh, he was a good man and a good teacher. I love that one. He was a good guy that really taught people what it is to really love others and be kind and everything. He was all that, but no, he's not God. If we want to find out what a cult is, find the cults that don't believe in the holy deity of Jesus Christ. Find the ones that don't believe in the trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being the triune God himself. Then you know that you're dealing with a cult. Whether they wish to acknowledge that or say that to you or not. And some of them will claim to be your friends and be the same as you. But they are not. Compare them to the words in this book. This is the book of peace. This is the book of freedom. So how come, even as believers, as we read this stuff, we realize some of the evil ones of hell who are going to pay for what they have done believe stronger than a lot of us do here.
factor in the church today. How many of us worry and fret over the phone call from the doctor? I'm not saying it's not scary. I've received some of those phone calls myself. How many of us worry when the bank, we set, we set a limit on our bank account, and it can't go below this number or we're going to be in big trouble? Who has all the money? God does. How many of us worry when our kids go out the door and think, oh my gosh, are they going to be okay? The day that we're able to say, God, I'm asking you to just get me through this. And by the way, God always knows you're this. You don't have to describe it or say, God, get me through this. God knows your heart. God knows your mind. When you say, get me through this, what I hope you never say is, what did I do to deserve this? Because I'll tell you what you did. Remember I said the whole reason for this is Jesus came, right? So the whole reason that Jesus coming and the whole reason for the six scrolls that being opened and all of this pestilence and stuff is so that we can get to verse number nine, 8, 9, 10, 11. When we get to the end of it and we look at all the kings and all those creatures and everything and we're not quite done with the chapter but I want to get to the part that says when they knew that they were, they were getting ready to fall out. They knew that they were getting ready to be, to be judged by the wrath of the Lamb at the end of this chapter. If they all knew this, then how is it that we can say, God, what did I do to deserve this? I know what I did. I started preaching from this book. And my wife can tell you, we have instances of, we have perfect instances when I get ready to do things like I'm doing tonight. Things get hairy at home. All of a sudden, different stuff starts to happen, you know. I'm not going to talk about my, my family and myself because I want you to relate to this. I want you to understand. When you say, what did I do to deserve this? You're asking God, God, did I believe in you for real? At least you're not saying, why did I believe in you? You're saying, what did I do to deserve this? Because you do believe in him. But could I ask you this? Instead of saying, God, why am I going through this? Can you say, hey, God, I know why I'm going through this. Can you tell me what you're trying to teach me through it? What do I need to learn today? What do I need to learn to get closer to you? What do I need to learn to be able to get down on my knees, pray, and ask for, not just ask for forgiveness, but to claim the strength of the wrath of the Lamb that's in this sixth chapter? Because it is his power. It's power in the name of the Lord. It says this several times in this book. You will always have the power of the risen Savior when you call upon his name. You will always have the power of the risen Lord when you feel the weakest. At your weakest point is when he's at his strongest point. 
Everybody knows the, the poem or the, the saying that says, hey, how come God, when I was walking along the sand and at first there was two sets of footprints and then all of a sudden the other footprints, they went away and now there's just one set of footprints. What did Jesus say? My dear child, that's when I was carrying you. That's who our Jesus is. No matter how much we hurt and how the pain, God may look at us and say, it's okay, family. Just go and rest a little while longer. Because verse 11 in this sixth chapter, you may want to circle that number or write it down or something, but verse 11, when he says to them, they were given a white robe and told, rest a little longer. When it says rest, lay down in complete trust and comfort in the spirit of the Lord, in his power and might. That rest doesn't mean I'm just going to sit down and wait. What that rest means is that I'm going to turn it over to God's hands. I'm not going to take it back. And I'm going to go get in my bedroom and I'm going to lay down to a peaceful sleep because I know without a doubt that my God is in control. Amen? Amen. Wait, wait, wait. Amen? Amen? Thank you very much. We have to understand and get to the point where that these chapters, as we go through them, there will always be the beginning that's telling you all of the stuff that's coming, and then towards the end of it, it's going to tell you for whom and why. I don't want to be part of the for whom and why, by the way. I just thought I'd share that with you. I want to be on the other side, the I know, and God is with me, and me and you are, we're best friends. Then I'm going to keep it that way. And the only way that happens, my friends, is by staying in this book. Even if every morning you wake up and just have a little card with one little scripture on it, you read it or you flip open your Bible to the Psalms or Proverbs and, and you read some of those Psalms and you just read a couple verses, hey, that's all you need to hear in your heart. For all of you that, that find your worship in music, if you turn to that and all of a sudden you realize, man, I am, the wrath of the Lamb is for these guys that are trying to make it look like he does not exist. And it's through this music that I find peace and solace because it is all about the music that lifts your soul to heaven. I am thanking God every day for our worship team up here. We have an amazing team. And the fun part is when they get into worship, we can see how we worship and we, we can just feel it with them. Please say amen. amen. Thank you. Because some of them are here tonight. So I want them to understand how important they really are because they really are. Please know every single one of you are here for a purpose tonight. I do not know what you're going through. I do not know how the enemy who has sent all of these thwarts of the devil to come after you. I don't know if it's medical. I don't know if it's, if it's family. I don't know if it's friends, work, whatever. Some of us have lost jobs and we're sitting in the middle of looking for some. We're going to pray in just a minute as we dismiss, but I just want you to understand something. Chapter 6 is just the beginning of this apocalypse. 
and I hope we've been able to break it down a little bit to make it a whole lot less scary for us to understand why God had to do what he had to do. Well, he didn't have to. Let's just say why God did what he did. Let's put it that way. Because he loved us. Darlene, you're a genius. Way to go. <laughs> we, we have to understand that at all times, in all circumstances, he never leaves or forsakes us. Amen? Nay, I like that amen. Let's pray together. Father God, getting through this first chapter could be a little unnerving until we realize it is the Lamb of God who came to save the sins of the world. And for that, we are so grateful. So grateful. We stand before you. Many of us have prayer requests in this room. I don't know them all, Lord, but you do. As they lift their, their just their concerns, their praises, they're, they're giving you glory and honor. As they have fears, Father, I ask that you rest on every single one of them. May the great physician touch those that need it. May the spirit of strength and power and of Almighty God, fill those who are feeling weak and have fallen down to their knees in battle. Father, may we lift up our hands in praise and worship this night just because of who you are, not for everything you have done. As we go our separate ways, would you remind us of this all week long? Would you remind us to pray for one another, to pray for those around us, to pray for our governments? And Father, we do know that you are in control of all things. And we lay all of that stuff at the foot of the cross, knowing that Jesus the Lamb is all-powerful. And it is in his holy name that we do pray and thank you and give you glory and honor and praise. Amen. 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 For those of you that are online, if you have any questions, you can send those to pastor at lighthouse.com. And we'll be glad to answer them for you. Um, love hearing from you um, if you're out there. And please know that we will even ask the questions up here if you do send them. Because I'm sure that others will want to know uh, the same information. God bless you. Have a great week. And we hope to see you here on Sunday as Pastor Eric will be going and jumping ahead into chapter 19. God bless you all and may you have a great week.